Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're For Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the gummy worm-loving Gryffindor to my right is Ellen. It's true. Especially the sour ones, but give me all of the gummy worms. Or bears. They should make gummy phoenixes. Speaking of phoenixes, let's fly into the phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 2, Spinner's End and the slightly corresponding film scenes. Bella learns that there's a lot she doesn't know about Snape and the Dark Lord's relationship. She also learns that she mustn't touch what isn't hers. Turns out the Nazi von douchebags are getting their karma at once, and Snape is there to lend a helping hand. We end the chapter with Snape agreeing to help the smallest von douchebag with the task the Dark Lord has given him. During episode 197, Grasping at Straws, our Potter pondering was... What do you think Voldemort's draw to Snape is? Hello, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week. Voldemort's draw to Snape. I think that Voldemort's draw to Snape has a lot more to do with Dumbledore than it does with Snape. We know that Voldemort always feared Dumbledore because of the powerful wizard he was, and for the admiration and respect he had from pretty much everyone, including Tom Riddle. Although not just for his power, but for the man that he was as well. So because Dumbledore trusted Snape so completely, because he used him as a spy, then so did Voldemort. And I think Voldemort found pleasure in his belief that Snape was a double or triple agent, that he believed he turned Dumbledore's most trusted and loyal against him. And that's why Snape is among Voldemort's most inner circle. Hi, this is Tom. I'm calling about the Potter Pondering. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but my reasoning for why Voldemort is so drawn to Snape is that Snape did something Voldemort couldn't do and get a job at Hogwarts. I think that's all it is. I mean, yeah, he's giving... uh, Bellatrix a hard time about being closer, but, you know, one, Bellatrix is kind of off her rocker, and uh, Snape is probably just goading her because, well, she looks similar enough to Sirius Black that he can take revenge on. That's all. Bye. Kendra said, I think that Snape is the one Death Eater that doesn't grovel and act a fool around Voldemort and yet shows himself to be effective and useful. I think that Voldy indeed respects him a little. He definitely does not respect Bellatrix. She is more like a loyal servant. Also, it's interesting to think that Snape and Voldemort both have muggle dads, whereas the other Death Eaters are full blood. Max said it's pure hair and nose jealousy, let's be real. And Dave thinks it's because Snape has a nice butt. Who doesn't appreciate a nice hiney? Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, 
What color is the leaflet the ministry sent out about protecting your home and family against dark forces? The leaflet is purple. Congratulations goes to Kalista Whitewolf. Yay! This is her third week in a row. It's getting to be a pretty good streak, but Jessica was right on her heels. Can she keep it going? You never know. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 3, Will and Won't, and the corresponding film scenes that don't really correspond. Chapter 3, Will and Won't, Part 1. Harry Potter is snoring, having fallen asleep in a chair next to his bedroom window. His room is strewn with his possessions and some trash, including a mess of newspapers, one of which depicts the headline, Harry Potter, the Chosen One. The article talks about the rumors about the mysterious disturbance at the Ministry of Magic, where he who must not be named was cited. Sources say that it took place in the fabled Hall of Prophecy, and though Ministry spoke wizards refuse to confirm that such a place even exists, a growing number in the wizarding community believed the Death Eaters, now in Azkaban, were attempting to steal a prophecy. The nature of the prophecy is unknown, but many believe that it concerns Harry Potter, who is the only one known to have survived the killing curse, and some are even calling him the Chosen One, believing that the prophecy names him as the only one who will be able to get rid of he who must not be named. A second paper has the headline reading, Scrimgeour succeeds Fudge, and most of the page is taken up by a large, moving, black-and-white picture of a ravaged-looking man with a lion-like mane of hair. The article describes Rufus Scrimgeour, the previous head of the Auror office, as the new minister, which the wizarding community is largely enthusiastic about. It also mentions that within hours of taking office, there are rumors that there is a rift between him and Albus Dumbledore. Scrimgeour's representatives confirm a meeting between the two wizards, but refuse to comment on the topics otherwise. Another paper is folded to show the headline, Ministry Guarantees Student Safety, and in it, Scrimgeour speaks about the new measures taken by the ministry to ensure the safety of the students returning to Hogwarts that autumn. The majority of the story is blocked from view by a large birdcage holding a snowy owl that is looking around the room and occasionally clicking her beak impatiently at her snoring master. A large trunk is open in the middle of the room, nearly empty aside from a residue of old underwear, empty ink bottles, and broken quills at the very bottom. On the floor by the trunk is a purple leaflet with the words, issued on behalf of the Ministry of Magic, protecting your home and family against dark forces. It lists simple security guidelines to help protect the wizarding communities and their families. Harry grunts in his sleep and his face slides down the window a bit, though he does not wake. An alarm clock is ticking loudly on the windowsill, and beside it is a piece of parchment covered in a thin, slanting writing. It's to Harry from Dumbledore, letting him know that he wishes to pick him up from Privet Drive the coming Friday at 11 p.m. and will escort him to the borough where he gets to spend the rest of the summer holidays. He also mentions wanting his assistance in a matter that he hopes to attend to on the way and says he shall explain it more fully when he sees him. 
Harry has read this letter so many times he has it memorized, but he still keeps looking at it every few minutes since 7 o'clock when he first took up his position at the window to watch the street for Dumbledore's arrival. He knows that it's pointless to keep reading it, but he had sent back a yes with the owl and now all he can do is wait. Dumbledore is going to come or not. He hasn't packed, though, because it seems too good to be true that he gets to leave the Dursleys after a mere fortnight, and he worries that something will go wrong to prevent it from happening. He hadn't been able to face packing to then have to unpack again, but he did safely shut Hedwig in her cage just in case. At the precise moment the minute hand on the alarm clock reaches the 12, the street lamp outside the window goes out. Harry wakes suddenly and straightens his glasses before pressing his nose against the window and squinting down at the pavement, where a tall, thin figure in a long, billowing cloak is walking up the garden path. He jumps up, knocking over his chair, and begins throwing things in his trunk. The doorbell rings and he hears his Uncle Vernon shout about who is calling at this time of night. Harry freezes mid-packing, realizing he forgot to warn the Dursleys that Dumbledore might be coming. Feeling both panicky and like laughing, he climbs over his trunk and makes his way downstairs, as he hears Dumbledore greet Mr. Dursley and ask if Harry told him he was coming. Harry makes it to the bottom and hesitates to avoid being in arm's reach of his uncle and sees the tall, thin man with waist-length silver hair standing at the door as Uncle Vernon stares in stunned disbelief. Dumbledore realizes that Harry did not warn them, but pleasantly suggests they assume he has warmly invited him in, since it is unwise to linger on the doorstep in troubled times. He steps over the threshold and closes the door, commenting on how long it has been since his last visit and complimenting their agapanthus. Vernon says nothing, but Harry can see the vein in his temple pulsing and knows he is reaching a danger point. Dumbledore spots Harry and greets him, giving him a satisfied expression while saying, Excellent, excellent. These words seem to rouse Uncle Vernon, who finds his voice and rudely begins to say that he doesn't mean to be rude. Dumbledore cuts him off, saying that, sadly, accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly often, so it is best to say nothing at all. He then sees Petunia as she opens the kitchen door and acknowledges her by name. She looks completely shocked as he introduces himself as Albus Dumbledore and reminds her that they have corresponded. Dudley then peers around the living room door and Dumbledore asks if that is their son, Dudley. None of the Dursleys say anything, so Dumbledore simply smiles and suggests they assume they have invited him into their sitting room. The Dursleys scramble out of his way as he passes and settles himself in the armchair nearest the fire, looking extraordinarily out of place. Harry anxiously asks if they are leaving, and he says they are, but expresses that they have a few things to discuss first, and he prefers not to do so out in the open. When he says they shall trespass on his aunt and uncle's hospitality a little longer, Vernon speaks up again to say, You will, will you? Dumbledore simply says he shall, and then rapidly draws out his wand and flicks it, causing the sofa to zoom forward and knock into the Dursleys' knees. They collapse onto it, and a second flick of the old wizard's wands 
sends it back to its usual position. He says they may as well be comfortable, and as he puts his wand back into his pocket, Harry sees that his hand is blackened and shriveled. He begins to ask what happened, but Dumbledore tells him later and asks him to sit down. The movie section starts out with a close-up transition shot of a train speeding by before cutting to a train station cafe. It pans over a newspaper someone is holding that shows a large headline reading Harry Potter, the Chosen One, and a larger headline about the bridge collapse and the rising death toll. It changes to show two women standing behind the counter in the cafe, then back to the front of the newspaper, focusing on another article about Lucius Malfoy's fall from grace before panning up over the paper to show the younger of the two women from behind the counter approach. She asks the reader of the paper who Harry Potter is, and Harry himself lowers the paper to insist he's no one, calling him a bit of a tosser, really. The pretty girl laughs and comments on how funny the paper is, insisting that a couple of nights ago she could have sworn she saw a picture move. Harry awkwardly says, really? And the girl laughs, saying she thought she was going round a twist. She starts to walk away, and Harry turns around to call after her. He manages to say he was wondering before she immediately responds that she gets off at 11. She says he can tell her all about that tosser Harry Potter. He smiles a little as she walks back to the counter, then he checks his breath. Deciding it isn't good enough, he reaches into his pocket, unwraps something, and pops it into his mouth. He then looks up and becomes distracted by something out the window and stands before slowly walking toward it. Across the tracks is a flickering light and an unclear picture. Harry wipes the condensation from the glass to see better, and a train runs past, revealing Dumbledore standing under the light that is no longer flickering, and a billboard for a perfume that says Divine Magic. So these correspond really well. I mean, identical. I can't believe how they got all of those details exactly the same. Um, what, what movie were you watching? <laughs> that was called Sarcasm. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it's amazing how completely different these are. Like 100%. We don't get the Dursleys in this movie at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah, Not I, even a reference to him. No. Like, does Harry even go home for the summer? Like, how do we... I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> I will say it moved the plot along. Sure. That waitress is really pretty. She's gorgeous. But I missed everything from the chapter. Yeah, I think that the them leaving this out is a disservice. One, we don't get any of the actors who play the Dursleys, and they're all wonderful actors. Oh, yeah. Fiona Shaw would have been wonderful to see do this scene where she comes out and she's, like, got her gloves on and stuff. Oh, I would have loved to see that. The chapter itself, looking absolutely nothing like the movie scene, starts off with Harry Potter asleep. His face is literally pressed up against the window because he's been sitting in that chair since 7 o'clock. So he posted himself. Four hours early at the window in his bedroom to watch the street for Dumbledore's arrival. I mean, he's only been home for like two weeks, I think. Is yeah, what he says. a fortnight. So he says that, you know, it would be wonderful to only have to stay at the Dursleys for two weeks. So he's torn between being super ready to leave and happy about that, but also like 
absolutely afraid that that's not going to work out. And that led to him falling asleep at his bedroom window, watching the street, waiting for Dumbledore's arrival. It's going to sound weird, but I always really like the scenes when Harry is in his room with the Dursleys. There's something about it that he has, like, the comfortable space, even in an uncomfortable house. He still has that space that's comfortable, and I am so sad we don't... We get him in his bedroom in the second movie. A little bit in the third, but not much. Yeah, where he's doing illegal magic, you mean, in the third one? But yeah. That's not how it happened in the book. I would always read those scenes, and it would just be like a little comforting moment of him being in his room, because I know that my room was like my... Not that my house wasn't a safe space, but it was just a place that I could just literally... And and be be you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And I am so sad that we always miss those in the movies, except for the second one and the weird illegal magic in the third one. Yeah. The book takes this opportunity to kind of update us on what's going on in the wizarding world, even though we got hints of it in the first two chapters. This one shows how Harry's getting his information. And mostly it's just referencing newspaper articles that are strewn all over the floor because he did kind of start packing when he realized he was going to get to leave early but at the same time his brain was just like what if you pack all of this up and then something happens and Dumbledore doesn't show and then you have to unpack it that would be awful so he really just has stuff strewn everywhere and amongst that is all of these newspapers one of them having the headline Harry Potter the chosen one that's actually a ping to the movie that's yeah a direct reference from the movie well the movie directly references the book and it does kind of tie it back into the opening scene where they had all of the reporters taking the pictures for this article so yep there's a bit of a reference there i actually love how the chapter describes these articles Because it only gives you the information that can physically be seen, even though we can't actually see them. It paints such a clear picture. Very good imagery. But this particular article talks about the rumors about the mysterious disturbance at the Ministry of Magic. And how you-know-who, he-who-must-not-be-named, Voldemort, was cited there. But they're all just rumors at this point. Because some people are saying that it takes place in the fabled Hall of Prophecy, but none of the Ministry spokeswizards will actually even confirm that place exists, let alone that something happened there. But they do know that a bunch of Death Eaters were arrested at the Ministry, and they're now in the ban, and the theory is that they were attempting to steal a prophecy. So they've got to have some kind of leak, because that's pretty accurate. Well, at this point, you would think that some of Voldemort's people have infiltrated already, so I'm sure there's other people who have also infiltrated. Yeah, probably. It mentions that they think the nature of the prophecy involves Harry Potter, as he's the only one who survived the killing curse. It makes people think that he's the chosen one, and the prophecy must have named him as the only one who would be able to get rid of he who must not be named. And then that's all that article gives us because the rest is on a different page or on the back the way it's folded. Like continued on yeah. whatever, yeah. So then it jumps to another paper that has a headline that says Scrimgeour Succeeds Fudge. 
which obviously if you're book readers, you already know this because we had that mentioned in the first chapter, The Other Minister. And that has a huge page of a black and white picture of a ravaged looking man with a lion-like mane of hair, which is how he's been described previously. Handsome man. At least in the book. A man. A man. And then it describes Rufus Scrimgeour, that he was the previous head of the Orr office. That's weird because I don't know why I was thinking Kingsley was the head of the Orr office. I think he just worked for him. Oh. He'd be a good head of the he Orr office. He might be head He now. might be now, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not because it. he's undercover with the minister. Can't really run an office and be undercover at the same time. Magic. Maybe he likes <laughs> the field work better than running things. Well, he does eventually take over as minister for magic, so. True. But it seems like the wizarding community is pretty pleased with this appointment because they feel safe. They feel safer. He seems tougher than Fudge ever did. <laughs> the spineless piece of fudge, you mean? Oh, no way. I mean, nobody wants bones in their fudge. I'm nobody just saying. wants bones. In I don't their even fudge. like nuts in my fudge. <laughs> Ugh. I'm not making a poop analogy. It is a poop analogy. <laughs> Anywho, the article also mentions that within hours of Scrimgeour taking office, he has a meeting with Dumbledore and there's a rift between them. I don't understand this. Like, I feel and this is weird, but I feel like Dumbledore should really be trying to help. But maybe Scrimgeour is not listening. I don't know. Everybody always comes to you because they know that you, yes, should be in charge. Because that little deer thing said that you should be in charge. Right. What is that deer thing called? I don't even remember. But basically, the most worthy person to be in charge doesn't want it. It's like Gandalf. You know, he doesn't want the ring. Right. But to me, to ensure that your pig that you're raising for slaughter is protected, it feels like you should want to help. But maybe Scrimgeour's not listening. I don't know. Well, and as Dumbledore even said himself, those that are most suited to power are the ones who don't seek it. That's true. And I think on some level he has to understand that, but it sounds like Scrimgeour and Fudge were both trying to get Dumbledore to let them use Harry to make it seem like everything was going okay. Oh, you mean like Dumbledore's using Harry? Well, Dumbledore was using him to actually solve the problem, whereas they wanted to use him to make it look like they were solving the problem. As Harry says in the seventh book that they wanted to use him as a mascot the same way they used Stan Shunpike as a scapegoat. They wanted to use him to make it look like everything was going their way. And that's what Dumbledore was fighting. He's just like, no, I have real plans for this boy to actually fix our problems. You can fuck off with your bullshit. I have other manipulation in mind for this boy. (laughs) Right. But then the rest of the article is just his representatives refusing to comment on what actually happened between him and Dumbledore beyond the fact that there was a meeting. And then it jumps to another headline that says ministry guarantees student safety and Scrimgeour's talking all about the new measures taken by the ministry to ensure the safety of the students that are returning to Hogwarts that fall. You mean like getting rid of Dolores Umbridge and her corporal punishments? I mean, she's already gone, but... (laughs) I feel like he probably still took credit for that, though. He's probably like, I got rid of her. It's fine. That definitely is a huge part in protecting those poor children. Yes. But Snape's still there. (laughs) 
Anyway, it says that the majority of that story, so we don't get to know about these measures, probably because they're all bullshit anyway, but the majority of that story is blocked by a large birdcage that is holding a very impatient-looking snowy owl who's just like, why am I locked up in here? I could be doing stuff, and you're just sleeping there. I'm stuck here. This is bullshit. Come on. I like that she's impatiently clicking her beak. I know. I love Hedwig. (laughs) She's so sassy. In the middle of the room is a large open trunk, and like I said, he had started packing, which really just meant he pulled basically everything out of it, except for, like, a residue of old underwear and empty ink bottles and broken quills. And a broken mirror. And some broken glass from a mirror that he apparently doesn't really clean off at all until much later. (sighs) But then on the floor next to the trunk is a purple leaflet with the words issued on behalf of the Ministry of Magic, protecting your home and family against dark forces. That was our trivia question. Sure was. And then it lists simple security guidelines to help protect the wizarding community and their families. There's seven of them, of course. Of course. Number one, you are advised not to leave the house alone. Number two, Particular care should be taken during the hours of darkness. Wherever possible, arrange to complete journeys before night has fallen. Number three, review the security arrangements around your house, making sure that all family members are aware of emergency measures, such as shield and disillusionment charms, and, in the case of underage family members, side-along apparition. Which is interesting. I wonder if that's actually allowed or if they're just allowing it because of the way things are going in the community. I had a thought the other day as I was laying in bed with my own son thinking about how I wish we could see his grandmother who's in Georgia while we're in Ohio. And I was thinking, can babies apparate with their parents? Like, is that safe? Yeah. Because Harry says he gets so sick. But what if your parents are constantly apparating with you doing this side-along apparition with you as a baby, as a toddler, as a kid, as a underage wizard. Then when it's finally time for you to do it, do you know how to just do it? Are you more used to it? Yeah. Huh, yeah. Then number four is agree on security questions with close friends and family so as to detect Death Eaters masquerading as others by the use of polyjuice potions. Number five. Should you feel that a family member, colleague, friend, or neighbor is acting in a strange manner, contact the magical law enforcement squad at once. They may have been put under the Imperious Curse. This is a really interesting one because I've been listening to the Lore podcast and Aaron Mankey has been talking about changelings. And this is some, that's literally almost word for word stuff that they, like the Irish community was talking about. If somebody's acting differently, you need to contact oh, law yeah. enforcement because they're probably a changeling. Ooh. I think that's funny. Number six is, should the dark mark appear over any dwelling place or other building, do not enter, but contact the aura office immediately. How do you contact them immediately? You don't have a phone? Do you have your owl in your pocket? I wonder if there's like an emergency wave of your wand yeah. that you can do. That's cool. Like a 911 wand spell. <laughs> like or uh, 999 since is it's that British. What it, yeah, it's British. Yeah. Uh like how you can contact the night bus by throwing your arm out. Right. With your wand. With your, your wand up. Yeah. 
And then the last one is unconfirmed sightings suggest that the Death Eaters may now be using Inferi. Any sightings of an Inferius or encounter with the same should be reported to the ministry immediately. So this one's scary. Yeah. Because if you've played Hogwarts Legacy, you've probably encountered Inferi. Um, yikes, Aruski. They are scary. And when they are all on you at once, like how they are at the end of this book with Harry, it's very, very scary. It is very overwhelming. I have encountered them because you get to see them in the beginning. Yep. At this point, we turn our attention back to Harry, who kind of grunts in his sleep (laughs) as his face slides down the window a bit. And like this paints such an amazing visual picture in my mind that I can picture it as a movie scene. Now, we know that my brain likes to make up movie scenes anyway. True. But this one especially, I can picture it. It's so clearly written. Yes, this one's very good. This whole explanation, this Mm -hmm. whole entire scene that we're reading right now is excellent. Apparently, the movie didn't think so, though. Well... David Yates, what can I say? Ew, David. Ew, David. So he just sort of slides down the window up against his face. And I would love also to see the view of that from the outside. Yeah. But he doesn't wake up. He has an alarm clock set. I like the throwback to this, though. It's the alarm clock that he repaired. Yes. To wake up to get his letter. Yeah. And that's kind of a cute throwback. But then from there, apparently sitting next to that clock is a piece of parchment covered in a very familiar thin slanting writing that reads, Dear Harry, if it is convenient to you, I shall call at number four Privet Drive this coming Friday at 11 p.m. to escort you to the borough where you have been invited to spend the remainder of your school holidays. If you are agreeable, I should also be glad of your assistance in a manner to which I hope to attend to on the way to the borough. I shall explain this more fully when I see you. Kindly send your answer by return of this owl. Hoping to see you this Friday. I am yours most sincerely, Albus Dumbledore. And I just fucking love how formal he writes this shit. I am yours most sincerely is the Dumbledore equivalent of Kind regards. (laughs) (laughs) And all of the, if it is convenient to you, I shall call. If you are agreeable, I I should be glad of your assistance. I know. I just love it. Because really what this says is, yo, I'm going to come pick you up Friday at 11. Whether you really want to or not, I'm just going to pretend like I'm giving you a choice. I'm going to drag you along the way and we're going to stop and do this thing that I need you to do. And I'll tell you more about it when I see you. Let me know, even though I'm coming to get you no matter what. See you Friday. Peace out, yo. Albus Dumbledore. Peace out, yo. Albus Dumbledore. That's the episode title. (laughs) So Harry has actually read this letter so many times. He now has it memorized. But he still would look at it every few minutes once he sat there at 7 o'clock looking out the window. He checked the letter again. Is it really going to be 11? Is that what he's saying? Because he's just so concerned. Like, he responded, yes, please, come get me. I don't want to be here anymore. But now he just has to wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of instances that Dumbledore hasn't followed through on something that would leave Harry to be nervous about him not coming to pick him up. Other than not talking to him for his entire fifth year... I can't really think of anything. 
It's more that he's worried something's going to go wrong to prevent it from happening. Not that he wouldn't show up on his own, you know. But like I was saying, he wasn't able to actually pack because he didn't want to go through packing and then unpacking. And the most that he did to prepare was put Hedwig in her cage, which she's not happy about. Come on. But at least he doesn't have to figure out where she is when it's time to go, even though we know that Owl's fucking smart and would be able to find him at the burrow. I was going to say, if you're just like, hey, if you come back here and the window's not open, go to the burrow. Right. But also, she always knows where he is. Always. Yeah. She's She's such a smart owl. Almost like a familiar. Like, Mm -hmm. she just innately knows where Harry is. I wonder if that's an owl thing, a magical owl thing, or just a Hedwig thing. I think it's just a Hedwig thing. Well, I don't know, because Pigwidgeon can always find Ron. (laughs) I love Pigwidgeon. He's the best. I'm so bummed we didn't get more Pigwidgeon in the movies. Or any any Pigwidgeon in the the movies. movies. (sighs) <sighs> that was the name of my first guinea pig. His name was Pigwidgeon. Guinea Pigwidgeon. <laughs> I called him Pig. He Aww. was white and albino, and his hair stuck up everywhere. He oh, kind of looked I like that. Albert Einstein. <laughs> I've never had a guinea pig. I had lots of guinea pigs. I loved them all. I kind of want a rat, but I feel like that'd be pretty mean to my cats. And Len knows that it would break my heart because they only make it a couple of years. Common garden rat. Yes. Anyway. At this point in the story, it becomes 11 o'clock p.m. and Harry wakes up. I don't even think he did set an alarm. I think he just had the clock there to keep watch at the time now that I'm rereading what I summarized here. (laughs) But because it doesn't say an alarm went off. It just says he woke up like an alarm went off. He was just like, I'm awake. Is he here? And it happened like right as it becomes 11, the the street lamp goes off outside. Oh, yeah. So So, that's what wakes him up. Yeah. You know, Dumbledore's out there with his deluminator or put outer. If you're still reading the first book. Couldn't think of a good name. Put put outer. Put outer. It's the put outer. I am glad she came up with a better name for it later on. But that change always just. I think that I always kind of read that as like we are an outsider looking in and we're not sure what that is yet. So we just call it a put outer. I love it. I don't know. That's kind of how it I works. always read it. But he looks out the window and it's pretty dark. Mops However, over his chair. <laughs> yeah. Fixes ah! his glasses, looks out the window and he can see a tall, thin figure in a long billowing cloak coming up their garden path so who that else could be is that Voldemort it could be but it seems unlikely since he still has his protection yeah. I don't even know if he could see the garden path at this point I don't know this magic intrigues me the hiding stuff magic really yeah. intrigues me I did like the way the movie showed Grimald Place appearing number 12 Grimald Place appearing oh I hated that hated it because it says Harry looks down reads the paper looks up and the house is there there's so much shit happening there's right. like shaking and I'm like but nobody else is noticing but it. nobody else I just it. liked the fact that we didn't see it and then we watched it appear yeah that was uh, yeah it okay. just the idea that to outsiders who don't know the secret it just doesn't look like it exists like people literally thought they just skipped number 12 and there was yes. 11 to 13 in a weird mistake so that that to me is what I mean, not necessarily that the movie did it exactly the way I pictured it, but I just liked that we got to see it didn't exist and then it did. And then it did. Yeah. Yeah. 
But like you said, Harry jumps up, knocks over his chair, and he just starts throwing things into his trunk, but then freezes because the doorbell rings and he hears his uncle go, who the fuck's calling it this time of night? That's pretty much what Vernon says. Oh, yeah. And that's when he realizes that he never told the Dursleys that Dumbledore might be coming. I feel like, do you have normal conversations with your aunt and uncle anymore? Is that something you, like, I don't, I, I wouldn't have gone out of my way to tell them either. I feel like he's just been in his room this whole time. Yeah. He's not going downstairs much. He's not talking with them. Also, I feel like Vernon would have done everything that he could to ensure Dumbledore couldn't show up. No, he's going to show up and bust out your living room again. Right. But I don't know what he could have actually done to prevent it, but he would have tried. He sure thinks he can. Yeah. It is so fun to watch that bag of assholes cower in front of Dumbledore. And I don't think I will ever forgive the movie for not letting us see that ever. I like that you said watch him like. You do watch it, but to read it and you see it in your brain. Yes. This is a picture. It creates it such yes. a strong picture. I am watching it in my brain. But anyway, Harry then kind of panics, but also wants to laugh because now he's imagining what I just said. I yeah. was watching in my head and he starts like climbing over his trunk to scurry downstairs because he hears his uncle Vernon open the door and Dumbledore greet him and say, I imagine Harry told you I was coming. Um, no. No. And I love Dumbledore in this moment, too. Dumbledore just being Dumbledore. Because he is. He says, I imagine Harry told you I would be coming. And then is like, based on the look on your face, I can assume that he did not. And Harry gets to the bottom of the stairs and just like stops because he's just like, I'm not going anywhere near my uncle's arm reach right now. I'm going to give this a minute. Stop like three stairs up. Is that what it says? Because he knows how to stay out of his arm's reach. Yeah. And Vernon is just standing there staring at the tall, thin man with waist-length silver hair that is Albus Dumbledore in this stunned disbelief. He's just like, what the fuck is happening right now? I imagine Dumbledore is in purple robes with like stars on them and has one of those pointy hats that matches his little star robes and he's wearing like buckled boots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks very much like a wizard. Very Merlin from The Sword in the Stone. Yes. But anyway. This is my favorite part ever. I love it. Dumbledore's just like, obviously he didn't tell you, but let's assume that you've warmly invited me in since it's unwise to linger on doorsteps in these troubled times. (laughs) Oh, that's not my favorite part. My favorite part's coming. I just love how he keeps having to speak for them. Because they just just stand there like, duh, what do we do? Well, it is customary that you invite me in. Right. And then he like enters the house, closes the door, makes a comment about how long it's been since he's been there and that their agapanthas are thriving. That's my favorite. Your agapanthas are lovely. Like, of course, you know that. That's so cute. Oh, my gosh. And you would feel like Petunia would appreciate somebody noticing her gardening. Right. She's not even in the room at this point. Oh, that's true. Your agapanthas are thriving, flourishing. And Vernon is still just standing there saying absolutely nothing, but Harry can see the vein in his temple just pulsing. And he's just like, this man is going to explode any moment. I'm going to stay over here. (laughs) Out of your way. But then Dumbledore sees him and goes, oh, Harry, excellent, excellent. 
And this is what finally gets Vernon to say something because he can't handle someone looking at his nephew and saying the word excellent. What a trash bag. He is. He is a trash bag of a human being. An trash absolute bag of assholes. A trash bag of assholes. He starts to say that he doesn't mean to be rude, and the book specifically describes it as a tone that implies all of the rudeness in the world. And Dumbledore, again, in that beautiful Dumbledore so moment, funny. just says, sadly, accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly <laughs> often, so it's best to say nothing at all and just cuts him down. But he does it in the most polite, formal manner possible. Well, yeah, even later in this chapter, which we'll see next week, when he rips them apart, he's even being fairly polite. Oh, so polite. Completely calm. I love it. This is then when Petunia comes in. I just see Fiona Shaw with her little gloves on. She opens the kitchen door and he's just like, oh, Petunia, yes. Albus Dumbledore, of course, we've corresponded. And Harry specifically thinks to himself that that's a weird way to remind her that you once sent her an exploding letter. That's not what he's talking about, Harry. It's not what he's talking about, but Harry doesn't really know that at this point. I wish we could read that letter she wrote him. I know. It'd be sweet. And he wrote back to her. He did. Because Lily said that she read it. Yeah. her and Snape read it. And it was very kind. And it was kind was what she said. And so he has written her three letters. That we know of. That we know of. (gasps) Maybe they have a secret correspondence where she checks up on Harry. I doubt it, but. I have the fantastical thoughts that Petunia is. Especially after reading Cursed Child, that Petunia is a caring and decent person. She's just really bad at being outwardly affectionate towards Harry because she keeps all the stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how you wouldn't have some attachment to this child that you see so much of your sister, even if you hated your sister. And I don't think she did. I don't think she did. But I think she's so desperately... Yeah, we've had was her. Yeah. She went for the opposite of what she really wanted, and now she's trapped in it. So I think she has to act a certain way because of her trash bag of assholes of a husband. Yeah. But I do think that genuinely Petunia does care about Harry on some level, regardless of if it's surface or very deep down. Yeah. At this point, too, Dudley also peers <laughs> around the living room door, and Dumbledore's just like, oh, is this your son Dudley? And they're all still, all three of them, don't say anything. Don't they're look at him. Frozen. Don't make eye contact. What do we do? What do we do? Jiren headlights. He can't see us if we don't move. He's Tyrannosaurus Dumbledore. Tyrannosaurus Dumbledore. Or Dumbledore Rex. You take your pick. But they're all just standing there in stunned silence, and Dumbledore just smiles and says, let's assume you've invited me into your sitting room. And then he just starts walking into their sitting room and they all just like scramble out of his way. They're like, "Uh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And Dumbledore just goes and sits down in the armchair closest to the fire and makes himself comfortable. Harry thinks he looks extraordinary out of place. So, you know, he looks very wizardy. Very wizardy. I think that your description is probably spot on. I like it. And Harry's just like, um, aren't we leaving? Why are we hanging out here, man? I got like, places to go? be. And Dumbledore says, yeah, we are. But we have a few things to discuss first. And I prefer not to do that out in the open. 
He says, we shall trespass on your aunt and uncle's hospitality only a little longer. And Vernon finds his voice again and just goes, oh, you will, will you? And Dumbledore just says, yes, I shall. Hilarious. He then pulls out his wand and flicks it, causing the couch to zoom forward, knock the three of them at their knees so they fall back into it. And then go back to its original place. Yeah. So they're all sitting and he's just like, we may as well be comfortable. Hilarious. I just I just wish we had gotten this scene so much. I know. And then as he's putting his wand back into his pocket, Harry notices that his hand is all blackened and shrivel and starts to ask about it. But Dumbledore's just like, that is a story for a later time. Please sit down. And this is where we're cutting off the book chapter. But we don't get any of this very wizardly meeting in the movie at all not even a little bit not even a hint of it not even any of it i think i said that already but uh. i don't think in the movies dumbledore is flamboyant enough for my taste no he wears a lot of gray robes it's boring yeah so instead we get a completely different wizardly meeting completely different now we've talked about why in the world they add random things to the movies and this particular add-in of Harry talking to the very pretty waitress. She is very pretty. She is very pretty. I do think that they maybe just wanted to remind us that Harry is getting older, like in the end of this movie where Dumbledore's like, you need to shave, my friend. Right. Like, it's just a reminder that we've been growing up with Harry. We are also getting older. But Harry is also indeed interested in some ladies because we don't get to see... His interest in Cho really in the movies, like we don't have that moment where he's like blushing in the third Just one, spitting pumpkin juice down his shirt. Oh, yeah, gross. Ugh. But you know, we don't have his cutesy little thirteen-year-old self blushing at Cho, looking at him on the Quidditch pitch, or being like nervous. We get weird fourth-year nervous Harry and weird fifth-year whatever Harry, but we don't ever really get cute Harry. Cute Harry being interested in ladies. And this was a very cute moment. It was a cute moment. I did not hate the scene. I just hated that it replaced something I wanted to see. Correct. But it's just like they had to take a moment to remind us that Harry likes girls. Apparently. Apparently. Like, okay, cool. But can we get a reminder that Harry has to go stay with the Dursleys every summer or nah? Like, how is Harry getting from Surrey to London to go ride the trains? And how is he able in such troubled times to just go wandering off on his own in train stations? Like nobody's intervening, which I know his aunt and uncle wouldn't intervene, but like. He had a huge guard last year and they're just letting him walk. Like it's completely illogical. It doesn't make sense. Ugh. But it is absolutely adorable the way he checks his breath. Yes. (laughs) It's very cute. He just and then, oh, no. And he grabs a mint. It's cute. It's very cute. I don't, like I said, I don't hate the scene at all. I don't hate the scene, and I don't hate the reminder that Harry's getting older because I think I was 16 when this movie came out, so it was just kind of a, hey, you're moving towards the direction of getting older and moving into more uh, intimate relationships Mm -hmm. with people and stuff like that. It was more of a reminder that we're all going that way. Yeah. But we do get a very divine magic moment. I see what you did there. Yeah, when Harry looks over the train tracks to see that Dumbledore has appeared. 
And there is a flickering light there. So it's kind of sort of not really reminiscent of the light going kind out. Kind of sort of not really. Yeah. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. It would have been nice if it just went out. That would have been cool. And that's what drew his attention. But instead. It went on. Dumbledore just appears in a public train station. Just poof. Bam. Magic. Yep. He's, he's there. He's in the train station. They... Looking like all sorts of a wizard, even though it's in more of like the gray blue. He's in a subdued. He's in a Gandalf mood. He's yeah. grays and blues. I'm just like not here for it. None but... of the flamboyance of the purples. And so we'll get there. I know. But when we see him go to the orphanage and he's not in a purple suit, Ugh. I'm like, excuse me. I need a purple zoot suit. I really needed Harry going, nice suit, sir. Yeah, because it's super <laughs> cute. And it's kind of in a black and white-ish motif. Yeah. So maybe uh, it was purple. I don't think it was. But I doubt it. But yeah, that's literally it. It wasn't a long movie section. No, was it. it wasn't. And We did have him reading the article. Yeah. And it had the whole Harry Potter chosen one thing. It mentioned the bridge collapsing and the death toll rising, which is interesting because we previously talked about how in the movie scene, they literally shot it and edited it and CGI'd it, whatever. Yeah. Where you didn't see any of the people falling in the water. So I guess here they at least do imply that people did die because the death toll's rising. Yeah. But they didn't bother showing us that where it was specifically spelled out that cars fell into yeah. the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is way more terrifying than just... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, a pedestrian bridge breaking is very scary, but cars falling at, like, multiple tens of... Because you can get stuck in a car. Like, you might get stuck under part of the bridge or have it create a suction that pulls you down, but you have a better chance of swimming to safety yeah, in a river. Yeah, but other cars can land on top of you, too, yeah. because the whole... Yeah, it's just... I, I imagine a very scary... I feel like it would have been more impactful if they had done that instead yeah. of the pedestrian bridge. Too much CGI. Not enough in the budget for I it, guess. I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, that's really about all we get out of that movie section and. It moves the plot forward. We are now at a point where in both, Harry is with Dumbledore. Okay. <laughs> and that is the only similarity. That's, that's about it. Yep. Yeah. So we have more in the chapter and a little bit more to the movie scene that we'll go over next week. But that'll pretty much cut us off. So we'll move into our Potter pondering for this week. So what are your thoughts on the movie giving us this cute waitress scene instead of the Dursley scene? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok and please try and get them to us by Tuesday before the episode goes up so we can get them in the episode. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This week's wizarding word is that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is putting on Halloween nights in New York. Ooh. They are specifically Halloween Tuesdays, and at this point, we've already missed a couple of them. Girl, you gotta leave your baby home with your husband, and we're just gonna road trip to New <laughs> York go one to night. New York. One random Tuesday night in New York. They're doing ghost story readings, a costume contest. The Cursed Child production at the Lyric Theater. And it's just like all out for it. It's all month long. So 
Tuesday, October 3rd, they had to celebrate the Dark Arts Night. On the 10th, it was a Sweets and Treats. The 17th is going to be Ghostly Games. The 24th is Magic Up Close. And then the 31st is going to be Halloween at the Lyric Theater. Ooh, that sounds so fun. Man, I wish you weren't going to be in Georgia. That could be the weekend we could go. So that Dark Mark takeover... The Lyric Theater is giving the audience members a temporary Dark Mark tattoo. Cute. I love that. Right? Plus a Dark Mark window card signed by the cast. Oh, that's neat. So I think this is like you get to go early, do these fun things, see the production on these Tuesdays. Now, do they do the production all together now or do you still have to do two days? I think it's been condensed into just one production now. Yeah. Which I'm a little bit bummed about. I really wanted to see both of them. I wanted to do the two days, and I don't even think that's an option anymore. But I'm sure it's still going to be magical, and you and I are going to go see it at some point. Then the 10th, the Bewitching Beverages, is serving up lovely libations for the fans. (laughs) So they get to sample non-alcoholic autumnal beverages. Okay, but I would like an alcoholic autumnal beverage beverage they should have alcoholic versions for adults drop some fire whiskey in that please right the 17th is ghost stories and halloween pins oh cute i love that i love a good pin i collect pins at disney it says that the attendees will be entertained by a theater historian his name is tim dolan he's from broadway up close i feel like i've seen him and then there's going to be some terrifying tales before the show. And then Brittany Zanstra, who played Moaning Myrtle in the New York production, is also going to be hanging out. Cool. That sounds super fun. The 24th is going to be a mind-bending panel about some of the special effects and magical effects on Broadway. Oh, I do like that. I love that. I would love to see that. That would be really cool. And apparently there's going to be a special gift given out post-show for all patrons. Wish we had money. Hmm. And then the 31st is going to be the costume contest. Because it's Halloween. Because it's Halloween. Halloween in New York. The top 10 costumes will feature on the Cursed Child social channels. Holy crap, that's cool. Yeah, and there's going to be a special photo op set up at the venue. That guy that plays Hagrid at Kent, if you're listening, I saw you. You were very good. Go. Go. Please go. (laughs) Please go. That would be amazing. And then there's going to be professionally carved pumpkins that night from the maniac pumpkin carvers on display. Professionally carved pumpkins? Yeah. How do you get that job? Right? Not that I can do that, but still. That would be fun. So really cool things going on, and I wish that we could go. Yeah. Maybe they'll do this next year, and we can kind of plan ahead for it. Yeah. We need to make sure we keep on top of stuff like this. Yeah, keep on keeping on. But yeah, that is our wizarding word for this week so now we'll move into our trivia question this week's trivia question is what is the new name they have been calling buckbeak the first one to respond with the correct answer and the code word hashtag beaky's back guess who's back beaky's back back again again. anyway hashtag beaky's back will get you a sticker another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through itunes If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com 
to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at Pod. Following us on Podbean at Pod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 3, Will and Won't, and the corresponding film scenes that don't really correspond at all. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are... For Fox Fox Sake. Sake.